Yes, I would especially appreciate uh, this recording because I've never had anyone ask this question before. Hmm. Basically, what you're saying is, is that after uh, Goenka and uh, Mahasi, you went to Bila Malamsi and you figured out that you don't like Meta. Well, just now, just now I'm exploring. Um, I feel like I hit a dead end with the Goenka method and the same for Mahasi method. And now I'm considering what to do now. I'm considering sort of changing tactics once again. And I really well, like what I hear from uh, Vimala Ramsey. But the meta part is, isn't there another object of meditation that is just as well suited where you can well, none of those are the teachings of the Buddha. Right. Okay. But they all have elements of the teaching of the Buddha. They're just uh, like a junkyard dog with a couple of, uh, like a, excuse me, like a jigsaw puzzle with a couple of pieces gone. Hmm. So, but you can't just add, like, you can what? take the Mahasi method and just add the relaxed part or the, you know, it's, it's not how it works. Well, what do you mean by adding the relaxed part? So if you just note whatever is going on, you may note it, but not actually release it and relax and, and smile to it necessarily. Uh, but you could do that and then everything would be fine and you don't have to think. Actually, what you're talking about is then have you ever heard of the 16 stages of insight? Hmm. It comes out of the Sutti Maga, but uh, Mahasi got interested. Um, uh, it's in uh, TMI. Uh, it's well known. Jack Cornfield, in fact, gave it the name The Dark Night of the Soul. Are you familiar with such a document, 16 stages of insight? Yeah, and I did get a lot of inspiration from Daniel Ingram in the past, and um, he was my first introduction to that. Okay. All right. Well, you do know that there is step six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and eleven in that. I know. Okay. <laughs> and then there's step twelve, which would be the eightfold noble path, which is what the Buddha teaches. And look how long and hard the Mahasi method with that 16 stages of insight, including going through hell, they put themselves through before they actually get on to the path. And look at the actual step before that. And that is a redoubling of the right effort. But before that, we go through fear, disgust, misery, despair. Uh, despair is a big one. And with despair, then a strong longing to get out of that, followed by a redoubling of the effort, and then into the Eightfold Noble Path. But redoubling of the effort, that's, I haven't heard Well, that I'm, I'm adding that. That's yeah. Um, yeah, I have to so start taking the right effort. In fact, that's the problem. The reason that people get themselves into hell is because they're noting the hell. A little bit of hell at a time until you wind up with a great big pile of it. One of the ways that I talk about it is everybody uh, uh, with the Mahasi method starts to understand the city dump. And then when they get good at the Mahasi method, they live in their own city dump. 
I sure have been doing some, so I can attest to that. Uh, well, it depends upon how dark that night was for your poor soul. Well, I've, I've experienced it uh, repeatedly since uh, 2016. It's like swinging back and forth. Well, and then wouldn't the Mila Malamsi method of adding some relaxation and joy and some metta, wouldn't that help cure that problem with the Mahasi method? Maybe. Relaxation and joy? Probably yes. But sending loving kindness to other people just seems so silly to me. I can't take it serious. All right. Well, guess what? Metta meditation was not recommended by the Buddha and not practiced by bhikkhus. It was something that someone else had done. And in fact, the reason why metta meditation is even in the suttas is because they're talked down. But in fact, the metta sutta, the one that's used the most, actually is pointing out that basically the issue is is that metta is the result of one's correct practice not the cause and you're a very very clear example of that not working for anyone because everyone recognizes that that's not the way i don't even want to love people that way then in fact when they give the statement May all beings be happy. Everyone who has been told to say that automatically and already recognizes, hey, I don't feel happy too. I belong in that group that I'm trying to help. And I already know that this is not helping me. So how do I expect to help all, all of those people, especially all of those people who are just a concept in one's own mind anyway? Sure. And so it's not a practice. It's the result of correct practice. It's one of the many results of correct practice. And so you could then say, well, what is then the correct practice? And the answer to that would be getting your own mind straightened out, getting yourself into what is referred to as sama area samati, the right organization, right unification of mind. When you got your shit together, you could deal with other people easily. And so long as you keep slinging your shit all over the place, you're a crowd, you're scattered. Right? And so, in a way, because we don't like ourselves very much, we don't like anybody very much. And this is the human condition. And in fact, well, the reason that you don't like yourself very much is because you do a lot of criticism. You know that because you've been doing the Mahasi method. You've been noticing your criticisms for a long time. You kind of got sick of it. Well, that I've been doing my whole life. I actually got better, I think. But um, yeah, I know about that. All right. And with the Gawanka method, much of what you get there is just uh, sensory awareness out of the body, which is actually a very good thing to do. Then, in fact, Mahasi's method actually kind of woke you up to what a pile of shit your mind carries around. And um, the Gawanka method kind of points out how out of touch we are with the body. So both of those are aspects of what the Buddha teaches. Yeah. But what they're all are missing is the Eightfold Noble Path. That's what's missing. 
In the meta meditation, there's a little bit of the Eightfold Noble Path, but not exactly. With the Mahasi, there's a little bit of the Eightfold Noble Path, but not exactly. And when I say the Eightfold Noble Path, actually what I mean is method. We think of the word path, we think of a bicycle path or a footpath or a pathway or uh, a, a, a parkway or uh, something, you know, and uh, we can use the word way and understand that that means that I can do it right here, right now. But when we talk about a path, it sounds like it's going to take for years to get there. And so it's much better to understand the Eightfold Noble Path as a puzzle that's right in front of us. Or another way of saying it is, yes, but that puzzle, the pieces are scattered all over the place. And all I have to do is just put the puzzle together one piece at a time. Until I begin to see things really clearly. When we see things really clearly, then we can begin to develop more skills. And this is what the noting method is supposed to be teaching, but they're not teaching it correctly. And so there's a couple of pieces missing out of that puzzle that they're that you're doing. And so the real point that we need to understand is, well, what, why do we even have an eightfold noble path or an eightfold noble method? What's that all about? And then we could back up to all there is these four noble truths. And then we could just pack it right up and do just the one small thing. And that is where the Buddha says that I teach formally and now only one thing. And that is Dukkha, Dukkha Naroda. How to see the Dukkha and then come out of it. The, Ma the Mahasya method doesn't do that. It says see the Dukkha and then look at it again. And then turn it upside down and pat it on the butt and see it again. And then recognize that this Dukkha is connected to that Dukkha. Now you've got two Dukkhas and you've got to look at them both. Become cross-sided while looking at the Dukkha. And all you've got is Dukkha, 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 Dukkha. And there's no Dukkha to Rota in there anywhere. The real teaching of the Buddha is immediately Dukkha to Rota. To see the Dukkha and step out of its way. Hmm? So... When we talk about the method, that is, is the method of how to see the dukkha and step right out of its way. But that's all there is to the whole technique. That's the entire teachings of the Buddha. It took 45 but, books and a whole bookshelf in just any one particular language to talk about it all. But a key ingredient to coming out of the dukkha is to see it. So in that sense, the... Uh, see it. Yeah see it and and you have to not just see it and release it but also replace it with something better no you don't well okay all right we can say that's true with thoughts that you can increase and you can better the thoughts that you're, you're having but what we want to do is to change the dukkha to sukha dukkha naroda is sukha so if you're saying replace the dukkha with something a better thing to say is, no, we're going to just turn it right upside down. Um, I didn't okay, get because Dukkha, hmm. never mind, we'll just run right through. Dukkha has the quality of being unsatisfactory. And yet in English, it's been translated into suffering. But really what it means is unsatisfactory. But in Pali language, there is a word that is opposite of that 
satisfactory. The name of that word is actually in the Pali, Sukha. And Kwam Suk in Thai is happiness, okay, pleasure. And when you, you, so you have a choice, either going to be in Dukkha, which means some sort of displeasure that we can call pain for a moment, or you can be in a state of pleasure. Your choice. Why do we continuously choose to be dissatisfied and unpleased with things? I mean, you've already told me you don't like people and you don't even want to like them. Right? So you're choosing Dukkha right there. Yeah, I have thought a lot about that. I think, you know, when you are miserable, it's like you actually want to be miserable and you want to be right about being miserable. Right, I'd rather be right than happy. Something like that. Okay. So, that means then that there may be some resistance to coming out of the dukkha. Once we understand it, we may not want to leave it. We may be quite satisfied with being dissatisfied, which is kind of a conundrum. And that people uh, turn that one upside down too in the sense of uh, practicing and having joy, but it's not enough joy. So they've got something satisfying, but it's not satisfying. So you can either have the joy or the satisfaction and top it off with dukkha, or you can pile a lot of satisfaction on top of the dukkha. That seems to be the two choices, as opposed to just turning the whole thing upside down. Hmm. Okay, so how do we do that is we recognize that if we have any feelings of fear, we can change that into the feeling of not fear, feeling safe and secure. But in fact, we need to practice being safe and secure because we mostly have been practicing being unsafe and insecure our whole lives, starting at the point of birth and going forward from there. Most children spend their whole lifetimes terrified. When we get when we grow up, we're still terrified. We've just gotten so used to it that we don't recognize that we spend most of our time feeling terrified. But we do have words for it, like panic attacks or <clears throat> anxiety, stress, tiredness. But really, the base of all of that is fear. And in fact, anger. Generally, what anger is is wanting to feel powerful on top of the fear. You, you actually feel ter- terrified. So one of the things we actually want to practice then is to start feeling safe, to turn that dukkha upside down, start feeling safe. This is part of the reason why the Buddha recommends go to the forest, go to uh, the foot of a tree or an empty hut or a pile of straw, basically to get away from everyone, get into seclusion, to get away. So then that you can start to get away from all the stuff that you brought with you when you went into the forest. Like thoughts of the city, etc. And so we need to spend that time getting away from all of the dangers so that we can cultivate a feeling of safety. Um, But if it's okay, I want to get back to um, this integration of metta into practice. Um, 
well, that's what we're going for. Okay. Um, because everybody feels afraid and everybody doesn't want to make friends with everybody. No one wants to practice metta as a, as a practice. Some people can make themselves feel really good by, by doing that. But basically what we're getting around to then is may all beings be happy the way I do now. How good, I wish that everybody felt as good as I do now. But what is that everybody? Is that just a mental conceptualization or it is the real world that you're in? Right now, in the real world that I'm in, there are three sleeping dogs and not much more of you. Hmm. And that's okay, all. So may all the beings right here be peaceful and content. Guess what they are. <laughs> well done. <laughs> and so this is a way of understanding that it has to do with the way that I feel. That's the I that's in there, is beginning to recognize that you can, in fact, stop being critical of the world only when you stop being critical of yourself on the inside. You have to learn to put away the critical thoughts. One at a time as they arise in the moment. This thought, this is what the noting is about. It's not just to note that thought, but the very noting itself actually has a relative that they kind of miss. And that is, is that it, um, <clears throat> the Buddha said at one point, early, early, early in this practice, and it became a very important quality of putting the whole thing together, is a little statement, aha, I see you, Mara. Uh -huh, I see you, Mara, is actually the noting, except that we don't know what it is. We, we note it with whatever English language word that it has without really seeing clearly that this is an unwholesome, dangerous thought. And when we see that as an unwholesome, dangerous, inappropriate, harmful, perhaps cruel thought that we're having, then we say, well, I can think better thoughts than this. That's where we begin to change the mind, gladden the mind, brighten the mind up, bring the mind out of the sewer or take a shower and feel clean for a moment. This is the practice of Anapanasati as well as the actual practice of the Four Noble, excuse me, the Eightfold Noble Path. And that is to wake up and see not just the dukkha, but what causes it and then immediately drop it like a hot potato and you will be in the third noble truth right then and there. What is that third noble truth? The state of Sukha. The, the state free from Dukkha. That's all the Buddha is actually working with. So we have this eightfold noble method to do that. And that is both mindfulness, which Goenka and in fact, all of them have mindfulness up to a point. And then with mindfulness, we mean sati. Right, noble sati. To really wake up, see what's going on is number two. Right, noble looking. 
And once we open our eyes, literally, metaphorically, we open and look, wake up and smell the coffee is basically what we're talking about. And what is that coffee? The air that we're breathing. Take a deep breath, wake up. So Gawanka is, is better, but both of them are kind of missing in the sense that the Buddha actually teaches that sati to be mindful that you're breathing long on an in-breath and mindfully breathing long on the out-breath, which means we've got to put some effort into it, which is the third aspect of the Eightfold Noble Path. And that is right noble effort, which is missing in both of them. In fact, uh, Goenka changed his right noble effort into strong determination. Hmm. I'm misunderstanding it because what we mean by right noble effort is to change it immediately, right here, right now. To change that unwholesome thought into a wholesome thought. And the Anapanasuti is talking about gladdening the mind, brightening the mind. In the, in the Satipatthana Sutta, that they all are so, uh, uh, let us say, in, base their practice on, in the uh, Sutta number 10 in the Majjhima Nikaya, they talk about in the Dhamma Nikaya section of the book about the hindrances. And the hindrances are the first thing to go. There's many sutras that talk about this, that we have to throw the hindrances out, and yet somehow or another, the Mahasi method misses step number one of the whole practice. That is removal of the hindrances. So the student will ask, well, what do I note then? And the answer is, note what's there. We have to immediately push the wrong button so that it goes ooga or or something like that to say, no, you do not know just what's there. You actually need to then take the right effort to know what it actually is in the sense of, is this worthwhile having right now? Is this thought wholesome or not? Is this a hindering thought or is this a fulfilling thought? And if it's a hindering thought, we remove it. Aha, I caught you, Mara. And we throw that thought out. And this then, is step 10 of the Anapanasati Sutra. Mm -hmm. And to be very specific about how to do this, um, so the way I would describe it is when something feels either tight or uncomfortable, you throw it out by relaxing and releasing. And okay, that's really, really good for a very, very rank raw beginner. We need to see that stuff that tightens you up. We need to see the thoughts that are beyond, uh, that happen very quickly. We need to see the conversation that you were having that made you feel that way. Okay. We really begin to look at what's happening in the mind. And we do that with work, working with the body first. Yes, we do, in fact, look at how we feel in the body, but that's only a trace or, let us say, the footsteps of the crime scene. <laughs> okay. Got to really check the mind. And how we do that is by guarding each thought that comes. If, as we remember, 
This is an important thing about Shati. When do we practice this? The answer is every time that we can remember to uh, practice this. <clears throat> that we don't need to be squatting on the floor in some meditation hall surrounded by ourselves by a whole lot of people selling, telling ourselves a lie that we're in seclusion. Just to be clear, uh, when you say thought, do you mean just a verbal, um, like a sound-based um, mind phenomena, like a speaking or a visual or that's both? discursive thought, and that that may be in fact get kicked off. But there's also very fast thoughts. Let us call it a mind moment, and the mind moments happen about a tenth of a second. You need to start seeing these mind moments of, of the attitude of which way that we're leaning. And then we like a tree. If a tree is cut in a certain way, it'll fall in the direction of the way that it's cut if the logger knows what he's doing. Right? The mind can do the same thing. Whichever way the mind is leaning, when it when it falls, it'll lean, it'll fall in the direction that it's leaning. So if you've got a victim's leaning, if you're leaning towards victim, then you're going to fall into victimhood. If you are leaning towards being a champion, you'll fall into the, the championship circle. Your choice. You can either fall out in, out of danger or you can fall into a real mess up to you. Okay, And we need to start seeing these mind moments. What our attitudes are. And change that to begin to modify our unwholesome attitudes to being victim and whatnot and change it. So in the Eightfold Noble Method that we have, let's divide that totally into three groups. At one time I've already mentioned the, the point of uh, sama area samati, getting the mind fit for work, getting it organized. And how we do that is with having four items that we're going to practice. That when the Buddha introduces the sutta, he says, Oh, monks, I'm going to teach you right, noble organization and unification of mind with its supports and features. Now, what are the features? The features are. What, how one behaves when the mind is, in fact, noble. In other words, when you when the mind is noble and fit, then you don't want anything. And if you don't want anything, you're unlikely to kill somebody to get it or steal a lie. Because you don't want anything. The mind's already fit. But in, in, in normal, ordinary Buddhism, we give the students these rules to follow which is just adding more burden rather than teaching them to get a mind that's absolutely free and pure, and then your morality will be top-notch and noble automatically. So now let's look at those four items on the list, which we've already started looking at. In fact, we've already talked about all four of them. So let's go back over them again. Right, noble, sati, to wake up completely. Not just a little bit. Here's an example of that. When you first wake up in the morning, what's the very, very, very first thing? Let's say within the first two seconds of waking up, what do you do? I open my eyes. 
Do you? Or do you go into the body with the body awareness? Here the body is. The first not the first thought is this is the body. Sure. Positions of the body. All right. But the first thought is not the same way that it would be if you were in boot camp when the DI comes busting in the room, banging his cane, everybody jumps out of the rack within a couple of seconds, right? But you don't do that. You lay in bed for a while. So what do you do in bed before you wake up? Actually get up because the real waking up, in fact, doesn't happen until you do get up. When we wake up, we say, okay, it's time to get up. Until we wake up, or we can wake up when we get up. But when we lay there in bed, we're not really awake yet. But we are awake a little bit. Okay, I want you to use these two points about sati, that we can wake up to what we're doing, but we got to wake up enough to get out of it. So that's the right effort, is to get up. To wake up and get up. What do we get up? The mind. What do we get it out of? The rotten mess that we've been laying in. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And this is what we do over and over again. Those three things. Sati, wake up. Look at the mess we're in. Recognize that we are conscious. We are awake. And this is what we see. And in this case, smell. In this case, yucky all over the body. And then we can take the right effort to get up out of there and go take a bath, right? And then number four is something new. We have to do this over and over and over again, taking the effort, and as we do, taking the right effort to change the mind from an unwholesome thought into a wholesome thought, we're also beginning to slightly change the attitude just a bit, nudging it along, and what is the nudge? Confidence. If I did it once, I can do it again. So we start recognizing that I can do this. I can, in fact, take control of the mind and change it from something unwholesome to something wholesome. To take a deep breath and relax. Do this over and over and over again and be mindful and start watching that we can, in fact, throw out the dupe and become satisfied. We can, in fact, see any fear and let it go. Let it go means recognizing that there's nothing to be afraid of. Hmm. And so as we practice this and see and begin to feel fearless, fearless because we're telling ourselves there's nothing to be afraid of, we're comfortable and safe and secure. Comfortable is really important. I'm surprised that Goenka didn't figure that out. He wants strong determination, and nobody is going to be comfortable doing that. But the Buddha talks about comfort, safe and secure and comfortable, because only when you're comfortable can you feel satisfied. When you're uncomfortable, you're dissatisfied for sure. No one has that much control of their mind right from the very get-go. That's a deep training. So we have to get ourselves comfortable. Once we get comfort and safe and secure, now we can become satisfied. 
safe, secure, comfortable, and satisfied. And guess what? Satisfaction is exactly opposite of being dissatisfied to do that. There we go. That's sukha for you, is being satisfied as well as safe and comfortable. No problems. But okay, so this touches upon where I'm I'm getting at with couldn't you do something else rather than meta? Because when I when I look up um Vimala Ramsey's Do this uh, Do this, do this, not meta. Do what I'm saying to do mm-hmm. is to look at your own mind, wake up, see what unwholesome thoughts are there and throw them out and gain the confidence that you can throw out unwholesome thoughts, including I hate meta. That's just yeah. another unwholesome thought. Yeah, you but... don't even know what it is. But one no. thing that you know is is that you don't like people, then you there's also parts of yourself that you don't like. And so what we're actually beginning to practice is is starting to like yourself the way that you are by having some wholesome thoughts about yourself. To stop having critical thoughts about how bad things are and how bad those quote people are into having thoughts about how nice things are and how okay you are with those people, whether they're decent human beings or not. Most of them are not decent human beings. Most of them are crooks, felons, dressed up. But everybody has a price, so they say. And we all go around lying to each other about how my high, my price is really high when in fact most of them are pretty low. <clears throat> that in fact we'd sell our soul to the devil for just another thought. So our price is pretty low. So we're that's humans. That's we're all scoundrels. I don't blame you for not liking them. I just don't care myself because I know that it wouldn't matter whether I like them or not. I'm not going to be able to change them. I didn't. I don't even want to do that. They're kind of amusing the way that they are. If they were all as happy as I am, what a boring place this human race would be. <laughs> so let them have at it. The question is, is can you stop beating on your own mind and take a rest? Enjoy yourself. Change. That's what this is about. This is a change model. And when people get the idea that they can't change, now they're going into magical fairylands about reincarnation and rebirth and the heavens and hells and all of that kind of long-lasting stuff. And we're talking about right here, right now. You've got a choice. You can either feel good or feel bad. Wakey, wakey. Your choice. You can either criticize yourself or nurture yourself. And so this is where the Gawanki technique really comes into play. And that is that waking up of the body so that you can actually be kinesthetic. You can actually experience your reality. 
can can we go through perhaps a detailed go through what I would do right now if I were to come out of uh, this like uncomfortable state? Like, the answer to that would be stop asking that kind of question and instead take a deep breath and say everything is all right right now. I don't need to answer that question. <laughs> and I feel safe and secure even though I don't know the answer to that question. That that question is just something new that I want and I don't have to want it right now. I can just sit and enjoy. <laughs> it's that easy. It really is. So am I done? So is that it? You are for that moment. That's it. Right. Keep doing that over and over again because you built up quite a habit of giving yourself trash. And so you need to see that and recognize it and stop talking yourself into feeling bad and start talking yourself into feeling good. But I also I need to see. Think of a more simple, beautiful way to say it is to stop talking yourself into feeling bad and start talking yourself into feeling good, which means mm -hmm. stop having um, hurtful, shameful, uh, criticizing thoughts and start having noble thoughts. Or if you can't have noble thoughts, then have thoughts of praise. One thought of praise would be at least you're still alive. You're still here. You can breathe. Isn't that marvelous? Right. But but you also need to see the proto thoughts before the dukkha, right? Well, that, that's it. I just showed you that. That when you have these criticizing thoughts, those are the thoughts that, you, that are the proto thoughts, the thoughts of criticism are already based upon an attitude. And the attitude is this parent child where the parent, the rules are more important or better or, or safer or more worthy uh, or more competent than the child that we have inside. Mm -hmm. And it's designed these rules are to get us to feel the way that we felt when we were criticized as a child. And so we go around criticizing ourselves and then again go around feeling like we did when we were a child when we were criticized. And so the thing to do is to stop criticizing ourselves and start allowing that whatever we've got is okay. An example of that is, yeah, we're weak. Okay. Everybody's weak. That's why we have machinery. If we were big and tough and strong and as fast as we wanted to be, we'd we'd all be able to fly like a jumbo jet and tunnel underground the way a mole does, and we wouldn't have to worry about all this machinery. Look, the whole human race is full of machines because the human being is weak. So get a load of them. Recognize, hey, I'm so weak I can't do anything. I'll take a rest. I'll let everybody who thinks they're strong to go do all the work, and I'm going to sit here and relax because I'm so weak. <laughs> so when you tell yourself weak, you say, yeah, isn't that wonderful? Nurture yourself. Turn this stuff upside down. 
appreciate the way you are right now. You're okay the way you are. Mm -hmm. Make friends with the way that you are, including the darkness. Whatever that you don't like, you resist. And that's a lot of work. So stop resisting the way you are. Stop wanting yourself to be better or different. That's just a set of rules that you've made, standards that you don't live up to. Throw those standards out and start nurturing yourself instead. Mm -hmm. Right, so I think I have some encouragement to, um, to go forward from where I was. Um, thank you for that. Um, I'm actually doing All a lot right. of meditation these days. I set aside the past, uh, like this whole week. Well, since you don't like it, there's no reason to do it. That in fact, you haven't figured out yet that what I'm teaching you is meta in a way, but it's the preliminary steps. That you can't give joy to other people until you gain some joy within your own mind. When you learn to nurture yourself, then you can nurture other people. And believe me, they need it. They are so screwed up that you know it. That's why you don't like them. Hmm. But if you can't nurture yourself, how could you possibly nurture others? Yeah, so I set aside a lot of time for meditation, so I guess I should be learning how to nurture myself. Mm -hmm. I should probably throw away all these ideas about concentration and stages of insight and all this and just the Buddha doesn't it. talk about concentration concentration is not a practice the Buddha recommends he recommends instead waking up because yeah, letting but I'm the body now alive. pardon yeah but I'm learning this just now okay right yes you can get Finish with that, uh, uh, all of those rules about concentration, whatever, and just enjoy the moment, doing it over and over and over again. In fact, let me give you a definition of um, concentration that might be better than the one that you've got. And that is, is that one of the reasons that we use the word concentration is what we want the child to do is to focus or pay attention. But what really is going on is, is that they're doing the right thing over and over and over and over again. But when we tell the child to concentrate, they don't understand that means to repeat it, try it again, practice it again one more time. They get it in the sense of, oh, I've got to work hard and feel really hard and tighten up. They try to demonstrate what it is to concentrate, where in fact, really what we want to do with concentration just because we can repeat hmm. repetitive wakey wakey over and over again wake up and watch your breath wake up and watch your breath wake up and notice your mind watch what your mind is doing wake up and make a change wake up and get out of your own dark uh, thoughts start having some wholesome thoughts we do this over and over and over and over again and every breath is an opportunity to start again. Just like Goenka says, when the mind wanders away from the breath, never mind, start again. Have you heard that? Well, what he means is when the mind wanders away from the breath, that when, that sati. When the mind wanders away is not when it actually wanders away, it's when 
you know it. And we have to know it strong enough to actually come back. Never mind. Start again. Come back. Let's go back. We don't have to beat ourselves and harass ourselves and harangue ourselves because the mind wandered away. We just come back into happiness instead. Mm -hmm. Never mind. Start again. Start again. What about the jhanas? Well, let's not talk about the jhanas right now. In fact, we've already been talking about the jhanas. You go get your satisfaction because you need that as a constituent component of the first jhana. And you're not going to go anywhere without getting yourself satisfied. And so long as you're asking questions, you're just satisfied. I taught you. Yeah. Um... I see you've nurring your fur and your brown and starting to ask questions again. Instead of yeah, sitting and just satisfied. I've been I've been worried about you know what to do what to how to practice um, so I guess the answer is worry about it later or learn about it later or don't or don't worry about it all that you've already mm -hmm. got enough what do you need you only need these points of the eightfold noble path this this group of things to come immediately out of the dukkha into the sukha by practicing it over and over and over and over again. Yeah. And every time you do, you get the benefit. And every time you do, you're building confidence just a little bit. We'll see. Mm -hmm. Until you get the lion, knowing that you can do this, no matter how polluted the mind gets or what obstructions it has, you can get out of it. You can come back. Okay. So when the mind wanders away from the wholesome, never mind. Start again. Yeah. All right. I'll go do that. All right. Go practice. Go have fun. Enjoy. You have a new toy to play with. What, the joy? Pardon? The joy? Or what do you mean? Yeah, enjoy yourself. I mean, there you are sitting on the floor. Why should you feel bad when you could feel good? It's your choice. Hmm. Yeah, maybe it is. Yeah. So boringly simple. Mm -hmm. Start having happy thoughts. Allow yourself nurturing. Talk yourself into feeling good and pretty soon you will. That sounds good. Mm-hmm. That's all the they all that's all there is to the jhana. Hmm. There's nothing much to it. Hmm. Right. <laughs> okay. Well we'll see you later. Yeah, I will. Take care. When are you gonna call back? When I'm gonna call back? Yeah, when are you gonna call? Um I don't know. Depends on how it goes. Hopefully, I'll never call you because I'm too happy. All right. but, oh, uh, but that's the best reason to call. Is it? Okay. Well. Yeah. Well, I don't it's know. All about friendship. How? 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 If you if you can't make friends with someone who is really good at making friends, then how can you make friends with yourself who is not very good at making friends? 
I see your point. Yeah. I, I guess today I just called you because I was demotivated and depressed and I needed some guidance. All right. Well, now that you've gotten some guidance, you'll run across the moment when you have doubts and want some more guidance. Yeah. Yeah. Once a week or so will be good. All right. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Well, we'll see you. Yeah, I'll see you. Thank you.